15. We are children of God. That is a great message. Got a question for you this morning. Have you ever broken the law? Have you ever broken the law so many times you got in big trouble? That happened to me. Um, uh, fortunate for me, the people that went through the process to help me become a pastor didn't look far enough back to find this stuff. When I was in middle school, I was a paper boy. Seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade, I was a paper boy. And the way my route worked, I, would, I delivered about 40 papers or so every afternoon. And then I would finish by coming to the stop sign on Duncan Road, and I'd have to take a left. And my family's house is about 50 yards down the road. Now, if you know anything about biking, you're supposed to bike on which side of the road? Right side of the road, right? But it was 50 yards from the stop sign to my house. So I said, I'm not going to cross the busy Duncan Road and come back again. I'm just going to go straight down and I'm going to stand the left hand. Yes, I stayed and I knew the law and I said, I don't care about the stinking you know, right side thing. I'm going to go on the left hand side. And so I did that. Every single day. I just went on the left side of the road. I didn't even care. Didn't even care. Until one day, there's a police officer waiting for me. He happened to be driving by, saw me on the left-hand side of the road, and I'm sure to keep me safe, keep me safe, he turned on his flashing lights. Red and blue flashing lights. Pulled me over right in front of my own house and gave me a warning. So that was embarrassing, that was bad enough, but not bad enough to stop me. A couple weeks later, I'm like, I, this, is, this is too much of a hassle. I'm not going back and forth across this street for 50 yards. So I just went on the left-hand side of the road. So the policeman in my town is noticing what's going on here. He, he's basically like one of these traffic, you know, you know, like speed traps. They had a wrong side of the road trap. They would set up just down the road, and I wouldn't be aware of them. I'd just go down, and sure enough, pulled me over again. Two weeks later, guess what? Third time. I got pulled over three times. Red flashing lights, pulled over. At this point, it's, it's, they've got a habitual offender on their hands, and it's not looking good. So they, a, a letter was issued to my family. My parents had to go downtown to the chief to the chief of police and try to work out what do you do about situations like this where people are breaking the law time and again and they don't seem to even care what's going on. So my parents went down to the chief of police. I had to go with them. I don't remember exactly how the conversation went. I was in another room, but it was one of those situations where it's like, this is a really big deal. If you're in seventh or eighth grade, you get pulled over three times, have to go to the chief of police? This is a big deal. All right, so I'm going down there, and I, there's, a, there's a lot of things you learn about life in situations like that. You learn about law. You learn about the police department. I, I learned my parents. I, I, my parents, I think, handled it about as well as you could. I mean, they, they did what they were supposed to do, and I think they, along with the chief of police, understood that of all the things that could be going wrong in our world, if your son's on a paper route, biking for 50 yards on the wrong side of the street. That's probably other things to be worried about. Um, I grew up in a town where 
the police cared enough about children that they'd want them to do the right thing. I'm going to try to paint this in a positive light as possible, right? So that's all these things. But it also, it, it taught me things about the law, taught me about relationship. My parents stood in there for me. There's a lot of things you can learn about a situation like this. There's maybe, maybe a person could learn there is, there is right and there's wrong. Whether or not we decide to follow it, whether we decide it applies to us or not, maybe that law applies to somebody else but not to me. I mean, there's a lot of things, different directions you can go with this. But the thing I would say ultimately what it points to is we all live under the law. All of us do. What will we decide to do with that law? But there is a greater thing going on and there is a relationship going on with all of us as well. This morning we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. We'll be looking into understanding a little, a little bit better what a covenant relationship with God means. Exodus 24 is a key foundational passage and even if we haven't looked at it much and maybe you can't even remember studying it before this passage in Exodus is key in understanding how our relationship with God and us works this is foundational for understanding how the rest this is where how does Jesus fit into this how does communion fit into this how does so many how does Easter fit into this there's so many things that wrap up and are pulled from Exodus 24 so we're blessed to have this passage. And there's some very unique things that happen in this passage. You, you won't find it's the first time it happens or it's unique in Scripture. At the core of it, though, is this. A relationship with God is based on a covenant. And understanding what that covenant means makes all the difference in the world for where we stand and are today with Him. I would invite you to turn to Exodus 24. If you have a tablet or smartphone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can pull up this event. And if, if you're one that likes to skip ahead early for the blanks, the blanks are all filled in on that app. So you can skip ahead and go right to the conclusion. All right? That's one thing you can do. Um, it, we are reading for the New International Version of the Bible today. But I would invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 24. And that's... The, title of the, the sermon is, Why Did You Cross the Road? But maybe it's better, Why Didn't You Cross the Road? And someone might even be saying, Pastor Joel, why did you just cross the road? Um, I think maybe it was for today. I needed to, to not cross that road. So the relationship begins. If you're following along in the program and you want to write in, the relationship begins. Let's read Exodus chapter 24 in the first couple of verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. The relationship between the people of Israel and God begins with God, begins with God inviting the people to join him on Mount Sinai. If you were to go back from the book of Genesis on and all the way to the end of Revelation, 
we are told that this relationship with God, it was always his idea. He's been the one redeeming the human race. If you were to, to go back on your own and read Genesis chapter 15, you can read about Abraham and Abraham's covenant with God. God chose that relationship. And it would be God that would walk through an animal sacrifice and back. Abraham didn't do anything. It was God that would do this. The covenant has been and has always been God's idea. So, my question for us this morning might be, when did our relationship with God begin? Who decided our relationship with God? Maybe we could look back to a conversation a friend had with us. Maybe a family member talked to us about what it meant to have Jesus in our life. Some of us are blessed. We are as children. Maybe someone shared maybe a parent or a Bible story at Vacation Bible School or something. We understood what saving faith might mean. But I would say along the way, who chose that relationship between us and God? God was the one that laid it out and pointed it out for us. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it tells us that before the foundations of the world, God chose us. For anyone in relationship with God, maybe we have an understanding and maybe we made a choice. Maybe we prayed a prayer or something. But God chose us first. A covenant relationship with God, first and foremost, it should be understood and known. It was God that decided to do this, not ourselves. God is the one that wants relationship with people. He is seeking out people. He's striving to know us. He would do anything. He would go anywhere to bring us into that relationship with him. Will we respond to this invitation? A good question to ask this morning might be, where are we in this relationship with God? Now, I'm not just talking about, oh, I, I prayed that prayer. You know, someone might say, I, yes, Pastor Joe, I prayed that prayer. I'm good. No, I'm I'm a covenant relationship. When I look at this and when I look, when I read through Genesis and Exodus, it wasn't a one-time decision for these people. It was a an ongoing. And maybe this morning would be a good time to ask, would be, where do I stand with God today? Where am I at with that right now? And some of us might say, Well, I can remember a time, I can remember a season, maybe something was going on where this is when my relationship with God was really solid. And others of us might say, well, I, I think right now is actually pretty good. Or maybe I was, you know, man, I was not in the good spot at all. All those things, we can be, say with confidence that a covenant relationship with God, He never moved. Now, we might sense our moving away from Him and us getting closer or something like this, but God didn't move. God has been right there with His people this entire time. Praise God that that's the way a covenant relationship with Him works. On the basis of what God is doing, the people of Israel had a decision to make. Would they come up to Him? Would they seek Him? They've been drawn to the top of Mount Sinai and God was calling. 
this covenant relationship with God would be based on the law, but also be based on sacrifice. If you go further down into Exodus chapter 24, we can find out more in the next spaces in your program are the obedience or obedience and the blood. Exodus 24, starting with verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the words and laws, they responded with one voice, with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Did you read with me? What did the people just say? Everything the Lord has said, we will do. That's an ambitious promise, isn't it? Have you ever made a promise and realized later, I don't know if I can live up to that. I don't think these people had a clue what they were saying. I don't think they had an idea. At this point, everything, everything that they, God's law and God's rule had been an oral tradition. And this is the very first time in Scripture that we're told that people were writing things down to know about God's word, God's rules, God's law. It, it, the first part of verse 4 says, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. But they agreed to it before then. How can they even say that? I don't think they had a clue. One thing that should be noted, the verb in, in verse 3 is to do is, is in the imperfect tense. It probably has the meaning, we will strive to do. We'll strive to do everything that has been commanded. But we can even say, how can they will strive to do everything that is commanded? They can't even do that, probably, because they, they won't. And yet God is here saying he wants them to know a better way to live. Thanks to Moses, we've, we're beginning to have this written word of God written down that shows us a better way to live. How grateful are we for this guidebook? It really does change everything, doesn't it? Some people have some misunderstandings about the law, I would say. This, this rule book. One misunderstanding I think some people have is that I'm doing a little bit better than I think I am. I think a lot of people, like if you ask the average person out there, how good are they at following the rules and the laws that are out there? Most people would say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good about it. I would say that from, from experience in my own life, but also looking around my world, I think most of us are falling quite a bit short of what the expectations are in this rule book that God gives us, this guidebook for life. The other thing I think that people fall short in this is we, we think God sort of grades on a curve and he, he's not going to hold people accountable for everything that's in there. And yet, that's not the case. We know that God will hold every single word in here accountable in the lives of people. So the law points to a way to life. And we're going to fall short. So how does obedience work in all this? It, I would imagine in every 
home, every single household, everyone represented here, you have rules. Probably most of them are in the oral tradition side of things, but you just have rules at your house. At your house, like um, we, like at our house, one of the rules, you, everybody has to clean up their own dishes after meals. That's just the rule, okay? You, in different homes, uh, who cleans up um, the mess that you make? I, probably most homes, whoever makes the mess has to clean up the mess. I, I don't think that's unique to our house. Lying and cheating, stealing, those are all wrong. Imagine if you lived in a home where those things were not laws. Imagine you lived in a home where those weren't true. Like, and you don't even have to write them down. You just know that they are true. And why do we have those rules and laws? Because it's a better way to live. God wants to give his people a better way to live. A home without, say, let's say lying is, is okay at somebody's house. What kind of relationships are probably going to exist in that house? I would imagine not very good ones. So God gives us this law, this better way to live. He's wanting and striving, he's showing us this better way to live because he wants us to know better. If I were to give a modern illustration, I, th- there's a right way to do just about everything, right? So th- the other day, the, the driver's door on my car broke. And I didn't have time to get it to the shop, and I thought, I'm just going to try to fix it myself. So where do you turn if you need to fix your, your car door? I, I, you could try a lot of things. I tried YouTube. YouTube has everything. Have you went on that place? YouTube's got everything. If you, so I, I just put my car in there and broken car door, right away it pops up. In a, in a minute and 15 seconds, I knew how to fix my door. And then I could do it. It showed you right where to put your screwdriver, right where to turn things, right. And guess what? My door is now fixed. No mechanic. Nothing out there. I just did it. All right? The law shows us the right way to live. It shows us if things are wrong, if you want to fix things, this is the book. One of the things I think Exodus 24 does in this covenant relationship with God, it shows us this book is not just, a, it's, a, it's not just like a, a manual that's sitting in your glove box. You don't even know what's in there. No, this is like a real life, day by day, how to handle relationships in work, in life, in business, in people, in yourself. You know, if I'm dealing with depression, if I'm um, angry, whatever. If there is an issue, this book is the tool. And this Exodus 24 is the very first time we're told that it was actually written down. And probably everybody in this room has a copy of this available to them. Praise God that that is so. We're shown a better way to live. We're thankful for that. But the people of Israel are a lot like us. They, there's no way. They just made a promise. We'll do everything in there, and there's no way that's going to happen. And God, at the exact, and the reason why this is together is the exact same time he gave us the law, he said, I'm going to also expect a sacrifice to make up the difference. The same time the one is going to come with the other. A sacrifice will come with the law because no one will live up to it. He didn't, I'm sure he listened to those people saying those words and said, oh honey, that's so sweet of you. You just said you're going to, and I don't think he's like this, but he's like, he knew even as they were saying it, they're not going to do this. 
they will not live up. And he was probably looking at us saying the same exact thing, saying, I don't care what promise any of us might have made, guess what? He knows we're falling short. So he says, I want a sacrifice to go along with it, to make up the difference. This relationship is confirmed in blood. So a person might say, why? Why do I need to obey then? Because he still wants, he doesn't want his people stuck. Like, like my broken, you know, I suppose I could have existed just, you know, putting the window down, opening the car door from the outside. You know, Dukes of Hazard, leave it open and just jump out the window. I, you could do that, but God doesn't want his people stuck in a situation where your things are just falling apart all the time. He says, I will show you a better way. And then he says, I'm going to make up the difference when you fall short. This is all from Exodus 24. This is beautiful. This is an absolutely amazing thing to help us understand how our covenant relationship with God is designed to work. But what happens next? This, this is crazy stuff. So turn with me to Exodus 24. Look, let's look at 9 through 11 here. And what happens next is really amazing. So they, they, God starts this relationship. This covenant relationship is God's idea. And he gives the law and then he says, I'm going to then also give a sacrifice to make up the difference. And then 9 through 11, this is what it says. Moses and Aaron, um, I'll, I'll read verse 8. Moses then took, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go back a little bit. Moses then, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go ahead and read some of this passage. I think that's the best thing to do right now. Um, Exodus chapter 24, starting with verse 3. Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. They responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses, Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, For the second time, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now here's this next section coming up, this remarkable, amazing section. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. They saw God. All of these words and everything, we could read about this in a book and we could have this sacrifice, but they saw God. It's like this very personal thing is going on here. They saw him. Under his feet was something like a pavement of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God and they ate and they drank. Barriers have been removed. You're supposed to die when you see God. They did not ha- that did not happen on this day. These people saw God. And then what do they do to to honor this covenant, they had the very first communion meal. They had a covenant meal together. They eat to finalize this covenant. Now let's fast forward our morning just a little bit. 
say an hour or so from now, you're going to go out to dinner. You go to your favorite restaurant around here. And instead of sitting with your family, you walk across the room and you just sit down with people you've never met in your life. How random would that be? Now, don't, don't do this because people were, it's, you're going to get really strange looks, if, and maybe more. Who do you eat dinner with? You make a plan and arrangement. Who do you, make, who do you eat dinner with? You eat dinner with people that you know that you have a relationship. You talk about what happened. You talked about what happened earlier in the day. You maybe make plans for what's ahead. You talk about something funny that may have happened or a serious discussion. All these things happen over mealtime. And God did the same thing. He, he takes a pause in this. They go away from the law. They go away from the covenant. Covenant, or Sorry, they, they go away from the sacrifice. They go away from all those things for just a little bit and says, I'm just going to eat dinner with these people that I care about. Does it remind you of something else that happens? Let's fast forward 2,000, actually more than that, thousands of years ahead. What does Jesus do? If you look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, this is what he says. In the same way, after supper with his disciples, these people he'd done life with, he'd showed them, this, he gave them all these words to live by. He will be the sacrifice, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The communion service that we think of today, this time of interacting with God, talking about our lives, our plans, our dreams, what fell short, how we neglected everything that went wrong, that time when we we meet together here at Bethany and other places around the world, it all comes back to Exodus chapter 24. That's where it happened first. Because God wants relationship with his people. A couple of takeaways maybe from this. First of all, when we're eating meals together, it's, that's a great time. Let's make sure we're focusing on one another. It's easy to be distracted by what's going on. It's a human level thing. But I hope that we also look forward to things like Easter, to the Lord's Supper, to the communion service. We should look forward to those times. And we don't have to wait for just that time. We can do this anytime. We can have this interactive relationship with God. He chose us first. This covenant relationship is his idea. He chose it first. Then he gives us this law to live by. Then he makes a and it happens at the same time. The sacrifice happens the same time as the law is given, because he knows we will fall short. And finally, he says, and let's, let's ratify, let's stamp the approval on this thing by eating together. But there's one last piece that Exodus 24 introduces us to, and that's to the mediator. Moses is the mediator. Let's read just a few more verses out of Exodus 24. And that's, that's the last lines in your program to fill in. Uh, Moses the mediator. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua's aid, and Moses went up on the mountain. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur will be with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. Moses would write out the law, there would be a sacrifice, but 
God knew there needed to be a mediator. There needed to be a person that would go between the people and God. When I, when I read through the Bible, different words stand out to me more than others. But I love how God is always striving for his people. And he even makes a better way. If you read in Jeremiah, if you were to skip way ahead in your Bible to Jeremiah, we're told about this better way that is coming. It's based in Exodus. Our understanding is based in Exodus. But God is preparing a better way. In Jeremiah chapter 31, you can read about this better way he has planned. If you were to read the book of Jeremiah, it goes judgment on people and law-breaking and things that are wrong and this is not right and this is wrong. All these things are wrong, but it changes. Around Jeremiah 29, the whole tenor of the book changes and it starts going into, I'm doing something better now. And you can read one of these verses, Jeremiah 31 verse 33, it tells us, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will, be their peop- I will be their God and they will be my people. If you read at the very end of chapter 32, it says, They will be my people, I will, I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will all then and that all then go well with them for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. This is the kind of relationship that God really wants. So while there is the law, there is sacrifice, what does God really want? He just wants it to be written where we don't have to write everything down, where we will just know in our hearts what is right, what is wrong. And at great cost to himself, he makes himself the better mediator. He makes himself be that one that can cover the cost. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 tells us about that. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The one that we're reading about right now in Exodus 24, Jesus, it's like all of history points to Exodus 24, but then it points us again to where Jesus is to say, I want this relationship with my people. I want to set them free. If you skip forward in Hebrews chapter 9 to verse 28, it says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time. Listen to what he really wants. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. All of history points to this better time and a better place. The written law, this is a good thing, points us to a way to live. It's a a guidebook. But something better might be having it written where we, we just know it. We know it inside of our hearts. Moses was a good mediator. But we needed something better, so we were given Jesus. The relationship with God 
is the same that Moses had, that it's the same one that we might have ourselves. This covenant relationship is it's not based on what you and I might do, it's based on what God might do with us and for us. So a question I, I have as we close say, what kind of relationship do we desire to have with God? What, what would we like to see happen? If, if you could peel away all the things that are going on, what kind of relationship would you really like to have with God? Two times, do you remember what the statement the Israelites made two different times? We're going to obey everything in this book that you're giving us. Everything. We're not going to drop the ball on any of these things. At the end of the chapter of Exodus 24, what happens? If you read ahead, you can find out. So at the end of chapter 24, Moses goes up into the cloud to get the rest of the law. They chisel out the Ten Commandments, all these things, and the people of Israel are left back there. And apparently all they're going to do is obey the law that they've been already given. Of course, what happens? Moses is up there writing the law, and it's not even, probably two weeks, ah, Moses isn't coming back. Yeah, we saw God and we ate dinner with him, but eh, I don't know. I'll tell you what, the best idea, let's make a metal, metal cow and worship him. Now that's, that's ridiculous, right? But before we throw those people under the bus, do we know what's in this law? Has God written what is right and wrong on our hearts? And what have we done? We know we should go on the right side of the road, but what do we do instead? I'm just going to, it's 50 yards. I'm going to go on the left-hand side. Somebody will make up the difference. There's a sacrifice out there somewhere. God will make it up for me, and I don't have to worry. God will cover it. We do the same thing. I, I, that the way we talk to the people in our own homes, the way we say and do things, how we handle our professional lives. All these things, there's so many ways we cut these corners and call it short. This is not a problem out there. This is a problem in here. My, my heart has been changed and all that, but I need to be different. As we get for, look forward to going into Easter and everything that that has about it, I, I hope and my prayers that the people of Bethany would be, we would be some of the ones that would say, I understand the law and I'm going to try to live up to it. I understand the sacrifice that Jesus made and I will strive to live for him. Not because I have to, but because I want to. This is the better way to live. And because we love our people, we love our family, we love our world, maybe we might share this with the world around us at the, at the right time, in the right way. How many people understand what's going on in Exodus 24? I think a lot of people are missing it. So I would invite all of us to consider what these words are, but not just some ancient document, but rather, this is the way to life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Exodus 24. We thank you for how it opens our eyes to how you do things, how it was your choice to do this, how you give us a, a guidebook to live by and then you make a sacrifice happen at the same time because we will fall short. We fall short again and again. Lord, I thank you for how you never once caring for your people. You always I pray we 
would be some of the ones that take for granted what you're doing. We'd be um, aware of what you're doing, but also seeking you every step in the little things and the big. We put this in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.